Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Hey, good morning. Hey, good morning. Amen, amen, amen. Welcome, y'all. Y'all excited about God's Word today? I am, I am. What's up, my man? How you feeling? That's my boy. We've been walking through Romans chapter 8 for the last several weeks, and that's where we're going to be in just for two more weeks. This week and next week, we will finish our series through Romans chapter 8. And my hope today is very, very simple. My hope is that our hearts would enlarge and our faith would deepen so that we can begin to trust God in a deeper, more personal, and everlasting way. So let me read verses 8. 28 and 29, that's what we're going to be in today, and then I want to pray for us. Romans 8, 28 and 29. I'm sorry, 29 and 30. It says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I need your power in this moment. Move me out of the way. God, we have heard the words of men and women all week, and today, God, we all need to hear from you. Holy Spirit, you have free reign to do what only you can do. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. So let me start off by asking a question. Does everybody have like a guy or gal that they reach out to for certain things, right? Do you have somebody that you call or text or something breaks at your house? Like, I'm, I'm going to call this person. Uh, for me, some of y'all have gotten that call already because I know my limitations, y'all. I'm not Mr. Fix-It, right? I, got, I read books and talk about Jesus for a living. That's about all the skills I have. So if something breaks in my house, I'm calling somebody. Um, and so... Uh, so that's that. Do you have that person though? What if you had a money question? If you had a big financial decision to make, do you have somebody that you would reach out to and call? What about a relationship question? Maybe you're single, looking at taking a next step with somebody. Maybe you're having issues with your current relationship. Do you have somebody trusted that you could reach out to that would give you the hope? That would give you information? That would give you insight into your situation? Now, back in the day, I know us believers, we used to have that friend that was kind of not saved, that was halfway saved, so that if we were really mad, we could call them, and they would just let us vent. They wouldn't read no Bible to us. They wouldn't correct us for talking trash about somebody. Oh, y'all don't have those half-saved friends no more? Oh, it's just me? That's fine. We ain't going to be honest on the Lord's Day. That's all right. We, know we, have, we always have these people that we trust for certain things, that we look to for certain things. Now, the, the issue is, and the struggle is, the person who's good at finances might not be good at relationships. So I would call you if I have a money question. I'm not calling you if I have a question with my, my marriage. I would call you if I, knew, if I didn't know how to fix something. I'm not calling you if I had a money question. And so we build these kind of segmented relationships that we trust somebody for this thing, but we don't trust them for everything. Because honestly, who could we trust for everything in our lives? And the reality is many of us treat God that same way. There are some things that we deeply trust God is reliable and trustworthy for. 
But there's other things that it's better if we take care of ourselves. I know God says that we should do it this way, but it's usually better to do it this other way. And so we segment our trust with him. And Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 is going to speak directly to the question, is God trustworthy? Not for some things, not for some of the time, but is God trustworthy for everything always? And don't assume the answer to this question. Let's work through and see what the Spirit may say to us. Now, we got to work through some words here. Let me read verse 29. We're going to work through 29 and 30, then we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit may be saying to us. Verse 29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Let's pause there for a second. These words may trip some of you up. Those he foreknew and those he predestined, that sounds like a particular brand of theology. Let me pause here. For those who are really excited to get to this verse so that we could talk about Reformed theology and Calvinism, you're going to be woefully disappointed. As a matter of fact, if, you, if that's your primary takeaway from Romans chapter 8 is a doctrinal position, like that's, that's sad. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30 isn't making a case for Calvinism. It isn't making a case for Reformed theology, although I would hold to those things. What's really on display is the question and the answer, is God trustworthy? We're going to see that in just a moment. For those he foreknew, he predestined. So what do those words mean? Foreknowledge, as some people understand it, is God knew the choices that we would make ahead of time. So when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, some believe that God chose those who choose him. So God looks down the corridor of time and says, these people are going to choose me, so I choose them. That's not what's happening right here. This foreknowledge isn't a factual or intellectual knowledge. It's a relational knowledge. This word is used six times in the New Testament, the word that we have for foreknowledge. Only twice is it used about relating to a fact or information. The other four times are about relationship that God knew us intimately. What the Word of God is saying in 29 is that God didn't foreknow us as in the sense of He knew that we would do. He knew us. Can you turn me down a little bit? He knew us. One commentator says it this way, that Paul does not say that God knew anything about us, but that He knew us. This isn't that God knew the choices you would make. He knew who you were and who you are. Put a bookmark there, and then let's look at the next word. He predestined us. So God foreknew us, but also predestined us. What does predestination mean? It simply means God chose beforehand. Before we were born, before we did anything good or bad, God chose us. Now, this is interesting because when we choose things ahead of time, we are always rolling the dice. We are always taking an educated guess that this decision is going to work out. All the married people said amen. We're kind of just rolling the dice. We don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. So when we choose something or someone ahead of time, we're just taking a chance. But when God says he foreknew us and he predestined us, God was not taking a chance. God knew the exact day, time, hour, and second that you would rebel against him. He knew how many times that you would say sorry for the thing that you're going to do again the next day. He knew exactly what he was getting, and he still chose us. He wasn't taking a chance, wondering if we were going to work out. He knew how broken we were because he foreknew us, and he still chose us in advance. 
So God foreknew us, and he chose us, but what did he choose us for? To be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to the image of his Son. God loves us just as we are, but he loves us enough to not let us stay as we are. He loves us just as we are, knowing exactly who we are, but he loves us so much not to leave us as we are. And it's his work in us making us look more like Jesus. God didn't choose you because you were perfect. He chose you to make you perfect. Amen? Be conformed to the image of his son. So that we would be, so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Once again, this family language. Here at Radiant, we say it this way, that we're not like a family. We we are a family. And that's not a cliche. That's not us trying to be cute. That is just basic Bible. That you, if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, that Jesus is your brother. And guess what? If Jesus is your brother, you're my brother and I'm your sister, and I'm, you're my sister too. So when we say that we're family, it's not trying to be cute. It's just basic Bible that we are connected through God the Father and God the Son by the power of God the Spirit. So he foreknew us. He knew exactly who we were. And he still chose us ahead of time, conforming us to the image of his Son. Look at verse 30. And you start to see the pattern that Paul here is making. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. See, Paul is saying that there is an unbreakable chain of events that God himself initiates, sustains, and sees to the end. And he's unpacking that so we would know and have great confidence about what God is doing. So let's walk through once again, understand the words, we can understand what God is saying. And those he predestined, chosen in advance, we just talked about that, he also called. Now, once again, that word called is going to throw us off a little bit because when we call something, we're hoping somebody hears us. And if you're from Charleston, like, cuckoo, you know what I'm saying, like little, little calls we got, right? We're calling, hoping somebody hears us. Excuse <laughs> I was going to do that, but the live stream messed it up. You know what I'm saying? It's too loud. We have these little calls hoping to get somebody's attention. And so we may think that that's what God is doing. He's calling out to us, almost pleading with us to come to him, and that is not what's happening. When God calls, it's an effectual call. What does that mean? It is guaranteed to work. Think about Genesis chapter 1. Y'all familiar with Genesis chapter 1? Right? Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth. You remember the language that's being used? It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. We're familiar with that story. God said, let there be, and there was. Here's the question. Who was God talking to? When God spoke, let there be light, who was he talking to? He was speaking to that which did not yet exist. He said, light, you don't exist yet. Come here. And light came. Like, oh, y'all don't, Okay. I'm up here by myself today, Carrie. He spoke to the things that didn't even exist, and he said, come here, and they came. They obeyed the voice of God. And so when God calls you, you don't just say, nah, I'm good. When God calls you, you come. He brings you close and is never in doubt. But he's not done yet. We're predestined. We're going to be conformed. We are called 
then we're justified and glorified. Those he called, he justified. Another word that may not be native to us. It may seem a little foreign. What does it mean to be justified? It means simply this. It means to be declared righteous. Hear what I didn't say. I didn't say living righteous. I didn't say looking righteous. I didn't even say being righteous. I said declared righteous. That's what it means to be justified. Imagine you are in a courtroom and the accuser of the brethren, Satan, is playing back every thought, every evil deed, everything that no one knows about, putting it on a big screen in a courtroom and accusing you of guilty, of guilt and sin. And the judge, God the Father, is watching this reel of your sin, of your deepest, darkest thoughts, the things that you hope no one ever finds out about. And that's on display for all to see. And God, the judge, is sitting on the bench watching this reel play back. And when it gets to the end of the movie, he still hits his gavel on the table and says, not guilty. That's what it means to be justified because the blood of Jesus Jesus paid for the sin that we deserved. And so God is able to say, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. And because I did it, you can never lose it. He declares us righteous because when you're God, you get to do that kind of thing. Amen? Now, so far, it's good news and it makes sense. We were foreknown, we were predestined, we are called, we are justified, and these are all in the past tense because these things have already happened to us. But this last one is a little interesting. It says that we are already glorified. This is in the aorist tense, which means the past tense. So Paul is saying these things have already happened. We have already been glorified. I don't know about you, but Radiant Church is a great church to be at, but this don't look like heaven to me. I feel as if we're not there yet, and yet Paul is talking about it like it's already happened. What is he doing? You see, Romans chapter 8, this is why it's such a disorienting chapter of the Bible, not only because it doesn't contain any commands, it doesn't contain anything for us to do. But it also, in these verses in particular, it's not written from our point of view. It's written from God's point of view. And from God's point of view, glory has already come. One commentator puts it like this. It is usually said that since future events are determined by God's prior decree, Paul could speak of glorification in the past tense. It is as certain as if it has already taken place. He goes on to say that while not yet experienced, the divine decision to glorify those who have been justified has already been made. The issue has been settled. It is so certain to happen, Paul could talk about it in the past tense. Oh, my God. That's how sure he is. That's how how we can hold on to the promises of God so tightly that we can talk about it as if it's already happened. Those he foreknow. He chose in advance. He conformed to his son. He called. He justified. And from God's point of view, he has already glorified it because we are sure. Now, there's a couple theological points I want to round out just so we're all on the same page. Let me say this clearly. You cannot lose your salvation. Now, I know we have a wide range of theological viewpoints here at Radiant, and you are welcome here. But hear me clearly. You cannot lose that which you didn't earn. Okay, 
God knew you. He chose you. He's conformed you. He called you. He justified you, and he will glorify you. What part did you play in any of that? Out of those six verbs that God himself does, what was your part in any of that? Did you call yourself? Did you know yourself? Did you justify yourself? Are you conforming yourself? And will you one day glorify yourself? Y'all, we are passive and grateful recipients of the activity of God upon our lives. That which God did can't be undone by us. Your sin isn't stronger than God's salvation. And so when we say oh, he used to walk with God, but now he doesn't. Now he's, he lost his salvation. We don't really mean that. What we probably mean is he was never saved in the first place. She was never saved in the first place because once you've tasted and seen, you know that he's good. And if God has snatched you out of your sin, you do not have the power to put yourself back in it. Upon what basis do we have to doubt God in anything, at any time, if he has clearly demonstrated and secured our salvation for eternity? What should we not trust God in if the most important thing, our eternal place with him, is secure? You see, the problem is we don't recognize that these two verses are connected to the promise that we looked at last week. What's the first word in verse 29? It doesn't matter what translation you have. It's all going to be the same. What's the first word? What you got? The first word in verse 29. For, right? Therefore, for. Remember the old adage? When you see therefore, you got to know what the therefore is. It's therefore. What is about. He's making this extravagant case of the security that we should have in God's promises, but why is he saying it? Well, you got to look back to what he said before because he's made a statement in verse 29 and 30 is the justification for that statement. So what is he justifying? Verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for those he foreknew. You see, Pastor Neil talked about this last week, and I think we might have missed it. When we read verse 28, that God will work everything out to the good of those who love him and are caught according to his purposes, many of us believe that there is bad things in our life, and God is going to give us a greater amount of good things in our lives so that the scales tip in good's favor. So we're going to experience some bad things, but God's going to give us some good things, and it's going to give us more good than bad. That's not what Romans 8.28 means. Although that would be a great promise to hold on to, it's actually better than that. God is saying that the bad things in our life, the sin, the brokenness, the suffering, the disease, he's going to take those bad things and make them good. Y'all, he's going to take that which is bad and not add more good to balance it out. He's going to take that which is broken and evil and wicked, and he's going to bend it to be good. And that is a wild claim. Even for God, that seems a little much. God, how are you going to take murder and make it good? How are you going to take depression and make it good? How are you going to take a miscarriage and loss and brokenness? How are you going to take all these things and make it good for those he foreknew he also predestined? This is God saying, trust me. Trust me today because I have secured your eternity. 
And if I have secured your eternity, surely you can trust me with your suffering today. Romans 8, 28 is a wild promise that is almost unbelievable that God will take things that seem irredeemable, that seem so wicked, so personally hurtful and devastating, and somehow make it good. And to give us a foundation for our faith that those things will be so, he reminds us of that which he did for us. So the question isn't, do you believe Reformed theology or not? The question isn't, are you a Calvinist or not? The question is, will you trust him? That's the question Romans 29 and 30 puts before us all. Will you trust him that Romans 8.28 is true? Will you trust him when you don't even see how God could make it better? Will you trust him when you've been praying and believing for so long? that your soul grows weary from growing? Will you trust him when everyone around you is saying, man, you've prayed and done the Christian thing long enough? Just take matters into your own hands. Just do it the way everyone else is doing it. Will you trust him when the blood of the innocent cry out from the ground? Will you trust him with your suffering today, knowing that he has your eternal glory secured? You see, it's okay to have the money guy. It's okay to have the gal that you talk to about relationships. It's okay to have friends that are good at different things that we trust in different ways. But if we bring that same thinking into our relationship with God, it all falls apart, y'all. You see, either God will be God or he won't be. Either we will trust him with everything or we won't trust him at all. And I know many of you in this place trust that you will be with him forever. You trust that you are going to go to glory with him because you believe that God has saved your soul because you have repented of your sins and you are living by the power of the Spirit day by day. And if you believe that, surely he cares about today. Surely he cares about the struggles that you carry today, the addictions that you struggle with today, the darkness of the soul that you struggle with today. Surely he cares about those things. Because he's already taken care of that which is most precious and of most importance, our eternal souls. Y'all, Romans 8.28 is a great promise, and I'm glad that people use it on graduation cards and have it on their mirror and write it down everywhere but that promise is actually more crazy than we realize. It means that God is going to take bad and make it good. And like this week, when we see the news cycle of yet another unmasked, marked display of evil in front of our faces, we are tempted to doubt that any good can come out of the evil that we see around us, that any good can come out of the pain that we've experienced, that any good can come out of the irredeemable parts of our past. And when we doubt that, Romans 29 And 30 is here for us. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There is no dropout rate. None are lost. If God knew you and chose you, he will glorify you. None are lost along the way. 
None are lost along the way. None are discarded along the way. He will see you through to the end, and so surely he will be with you in the day-to-day moments of our own suffering, in the day-to-day moments of our own uncertainty, in the day-to-day moments of our own struggles. That's what Romans 8, 29 and 30 is there for. It's to ground us, to remind us that he has already taken care of those things. Surely he will be with us day by day. Would you pray with me now? Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com.